0: Welcome to LightCast with Stephanie Gast, a podcast where we cast light on mental health, sexuality, and other human experiences we keep in the dark. I'm your host, Stephanie, registered Associate Marriage and Family Therapist on the road to licensure. Disclaimer, this podcast, including any references and resources, are for informational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. My podcast may cover sensitive topics, including, but not limited to, abuse, suicide, violence, mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Your discretion is advised. Have you ever found the same issue repeating in a different relationship? Finding yourself in a pattern of toxic relationships or attracting emotionally unavailable people? On this episode of the Lightcast, we'll be discussing the basics of attachment theory and how it might have influenced your intimate adult relationships. Tell me about your relationship with your parents. The therapy cliche that all our issues stem back to our childhood caregivers. Well, for some, this theory holds some merit. We will start by taking a look at the beginning stages of infant attachment development this relationship to the four adult attachment styles. Let us start with understanding attachment. What is attachment? Attachment is the emotional connection you form as an infant with your primary caregiver. Typically this is a mother, but for the sake of inclusivity, we're gonna be referring to it as your primary caregiver. So the quality of that bonding experience in the very early years for an infant can have a long lasting impact on how they relate to people and how they respond to intimacy throughout their life. Of course, this isn't to say that that relationship is the only thing that can impact our ability to respond to intimacy and how we can relate to others. But this is definitely a key aspect of how we start to relate to people your first relationship. It's how you first learn how to communicate and handle conflict and how to share that intimacy with another person. So the relationship to the primary caregiver is really crucial in the first years of an infant's life. I mean, if you think about it, an infant comes out of the womb, not knowing anything, not knowing what's around them, still learning how to see and hear and feel and understand what's around them. And you can see clearly that an infant has almost this sense of survival that's really innate within them. So attachment theory really works off the basis that infants need attachment for survival. I just recently saw this beautiful video on Instagram of a little infant that was just placed on its mother's chest right after being born. And just out of pure instinct, it started to grasp and climb on the mother's chest and search for its food source. And that's that kind of innate sense of survival that an infant has. And its association to its mother in particular as its food source and nurturance and sense of safety, which meant survival for an infant that's just out of the womb. So um, the biggest things that, like the biggest two factors, I guess you could say that impact attachment to a caregiver would be, one is the opportunity for attachment. How available is the caregiver, right? So like, for example, kids who are raised in orphanages who don't have these attachment figures readily available to them, they may have a difficult time developing that sense of trust needed in an attachment. And so that's the first aspect is that opportunity for an attachment to even happen. And then the second aspect that affects that attachment is the quality of the caregiving. How did they respond? How quickly or consistently did the caregiver respond to the child? And that's where a child really learns how they can depend on people and who's responsible for their care, which is the essential foundation of that attachment. And now let's kind of break down how attachment even happens for an infant and for a child. There's this kind of generic stages kind of set up that the stages have different titles versus whose theory you're really working from like I mentioned before, there are some works that are collaborative with attachment theory. and so there sometimes you can kind of change the name, but there's just generally these four stages of infant and child attachment development. So we start with the first stage, which is pre-attachment, or almost this time where it's not very social. And this is the eight the first like eight weeks of an infant's life. And at this point in this pre-attachment stage, the infant doesn't really show a particular attachment to any specific caregiver. You just see the infant having their natural signals of crying and fussing and trying to naturally attract the attention of a caregiver in the vicinity, right? But there's not an actual specific person that they they, they pick and choose over somebody else. They're still forming that, right? Eight weeks And so they're really just focusing on their survival. Food, give me food. And so they cry, they cry. And that's how they are starting to try to get that attention from their caregiver. Then we move along into the attachment in the making phase, or another theory would call it this indiscriminate phase, where this is when the child would be eight weeks to six months old. And here, the infant would start to show A few preferences for either a primary or secondary caregiver. So they'll kind of start to show a little bit of preference. They start to develop that trust that their caregiver is going to respond to their needs. And while they still care for others, or sorry, while they still accept care from other people, they start distinguishing is this a familiar person or is this an unfamiliar person? So that's this phase of eight weeks to six months. They're kind of starting to distinguish between a familiar caregiver and someone who's unfamiliar. And then we go into the clear cut and discriminate. full, that's the other name. So it's either clear cut or a discriminating time where they're trying to figure out who their caregiver is, who their primary caregiver is. So it's six months up to a year or two infants start to show a strong attachment and a preference to one specific individual. And the way you start seeing this being protested uh, in children when they are separated from that primary attachment figure is, that is some separation anxiety. When they start to show that, that feeling of distress that their primary attachment is gone, that'll be showing as a little bit of separation anxiety. Or this could also be displayed as some anxiety around strangers, stranger anxiety. So at this point in their phase, they're really starting to discern, okay, who's a safe person? I think I know who my safe person is, it's mom. And when mom's not here, I might start to feel sad um, and starting to feel a little bit unfamiliar and recognizing that that's a stranger. Okay, I'm not, that's not my mom. That's not my main caregiver. And in this stage, it's also when a child's starting to get a little bit more mobile. And now the parent, the main caregiver, really starts to feel like the child's base of exploration. So at this stage, when they're starting to move around, they're starting to get a little bit more exploratory, a parent represents that infant's or that child's sense of safety and when they feel safe and secure with their caregiver they feel safe to go explore on their own they feel that faith in themselves they can look over their shoulder and see their caregiver there and they have this ability to start exploring around the world and then we start going into the fourth phase of the attachment development which would be called goal corrected partnership. And that's around when the child is two years or older. And this is when the child starts to see the caregiver as their own independent person and starting to kind of understand that this is a more complex relationship. And a goal-corrected partnership is starting to form. And this means that the child kind of notices that other people's goals and feelings, and they start to kind of plan their actions accordingly. So this is a stage where they're really starting to understand that, wow, that person has their own individual stuff. Mom might feel this, dad might feel this, maybe I should do this instead. And so that's when these formulation of these thoughts kind of can start to happen for a child. And still very, very young, right? We're talking, you know, toddler age still. And so that's kind of like the basic foundation that some of the re- research has laid out for the stages of how attachment even begins for a child. Okay? And now, how does this relate to my toxic relationship cycles? How does this how does this relate to me finding myself in the same relationship, having the same arguments? So, now we're moving on to how this impacts one's attachment style. So after research has been done, there's been a connection shown that there are four main adult attachment styles that have shown to be developed from childhood. And so the first attachment style is a secure attachment. This is when the caregiver is direct. Consistent and supportive, sensitive, and their child in in response can feel safe and confident to explore. Right, so that secure attachment means that they feel secure, they have faith in themselves because their caregiver was so direct and so consistent, so supportive. Every time their needs were expressed, they were able to have some faith in themselves and feel safe and confident in the world. Maybe. Form a little bit more independence and some resilience. And so someone with a more secure attachment is going to have a high trust in others, a high trust in themselves. They likely had low anxiety modeled for them in the house. Their parents probably didn't avoid things. They probably were in control and they had a lot of warmth. So that's kind of those factors that kind of play into how a secure attachment would be formed. And so somebody with a secure attachment, they go on as an adult to feel self-confident and trusting and hopeful, and they feel comfortable in the face of conflict. They can feel independent, but can share intimacy. A really just healthy representative of having healthy relationships, right? I mean, everybody's got ups and downs in relationships, but overall, they feel comfortable managing their emotions and managing conflict and having that intimacy where they open up. Now we're going to move on to the other insecure attachments. So that would be the main secure attachment. The other three are all different forms of what we would call an insecure attachment where somewhere in there, the child's attachment needs weren't met, and they didn't fully feel secure. So let's start with the anxious ambivalent attachment. And I wish I had a visual prepped and ready. This is a podcast, so you can't see it, but it's a lot easier if you kind of see this on a chart. Um, I'm actually thinking about creating an image to go along with this podcast. So hopefully you'll be able to check that out on my Instagram after this podcast airs. Um, So if you want, you can try to look look up attachment styles on the internet because there's some pretty good graphics that kind of show this visual representation of these kind of four different styles of attachment and how it relates to your parent. And so a visual can sometimes be a little bit more helpful. So I know I'm a more visual person, so I just wanted to offer that to you, that sometimes listening to it can be a little bit difficult to grasp. So I'm hoping that there's also going to be an image of this on my Instagram so you can also see it after you hear this podcast. Hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense having a visual attached to it as well. So back to Anxious Ambivalent Attachment. So somebody with an anxious ambivalent attachment is going to have a little bit more high trust in others and a little bit less trust in themselves. It's likely that their parent had higher anxiety, their caregiver had higher anxiety, and um, maybe also um, low avoidance. Um, They had some warmth at times, Um, But there maybe wasn't a lot of sense of control and and authoritative discipline happening. And so the caregiver really is probably inconsistent, a little indifferent, um, maybe has some sensitivity themselves. And so the child ends up learning to feel insecure since the parent is so inconsistent or they have moments where they are warm, but sometimes when they're indifferent, the child can start to feel stressed and angry and feel a little bit emotionally abandoned. They can start to be a little bit impulsive and unsocial in school and things like that. And how this now displays as an adult, an anxious ambivalent attachment would show up as an adult feeling very anxious and uncertain, um, low self-esteem, Craving that emotional intimacy, but worrying that others don't want them to. So that's like that key aspect for this anxious ambivalent attachment is that ambivalent part. Where it's like part of it is this person's like, oh, I love you. I want to be around you, but I might be distant because I'm scared or worried that you don't actually want me to. So then there's this like anxious attachment to people because it's like, oh, I want want you to like me. I want you to care about my feelings, but I'm scared to show you that because I had a caregiver who was really inconsistent, if that makes sense. So when a caregiver is that inconsistent and then they see their child having that stress and insecurity and showing that unsociable behavior or impulsive behavior happening, this probably leads the caregiver to feel more insecure about their ability to be consistent as a parent and being able to handle their child's big feelings and so they might react the way they've been reacting and then that kind of continues the same cycle of behavior for that child and so that anxious ambivalent attachment is really represented representative of that like i want you but i'm scared that you don't want me the other side of an anxious attachment Would be the anxious, I'm sorry, the avoidant dismissive attachment. So, in this attachment style, this person might have a higher trust in themselves, but low trust in other people. It's likely that their parent um, had some low anxiety, but uh, was really avoidant and likely didn't display a lot of warmth. But maybe had a lot of control and was really authoritarian, authoritarian, so really more disciplinary. An avoidant, dismissive attachment. A caregiver for this style would have been distant, dismissive, maybe a little bit critical, irritable, maybe really eager to punish the child. And so the child would have grown to feel rejected, stressed, even scared maybe even suffer some emotional isolation because their parent was so dismissive and so eager to punish them when they had a feeling come up. And so as an adult, they would develop this avoidant dismissive attachment style where they're not going to rely on other people. They're going to just rely on themselves. They'll have difficulty tolerating this emotional intimacy and have no problem being independent and taking care of themselves, but maybe to the point where intimacy and opening up in relationships is actually really, really uncomfortable. So because the parent modeled this really dismissive avoidant attitude of the child's feelings, the child then grows up to have an avoidant dismissive attachment style. Hopefully that makes sense. So, Now moving on to the last form of attachment style is the disorganized, fearful attachment. And so this is where the caregiver was unpredictable, provokes fear, maybe, in the child. The caregiver might be struggling with various mental health disorders, even addiction, really struggling with some stuff. And obviously, naturally, if you're struggling with, a, with something like addiction or mental health disorder, probably having a difficult time handling your child's big feelings as well. And so, unfortunately, the child might grow up to feel very scared and angry or sad, find safety in approaching strangers rather than their own caregiver. They'll maybe grow up to have some low self-esteem and kind of be really passive. As a as an adult, they might end up just having difficulty regulating their own emotions. Relationships might feel frightening and unsafe, and they might even go on to replicate the same abusive patterns that they might have experienced with their caregiver. So these adults will develop this disorganized, almost fearful attachment. And it was likely that they have low trust in themselves, they have low trust in others. There's probably high anxiety happening in the family, in the family of origin with the, with the caregiver, high anxiety happening and high avoidance happening. So it's like you got that double whammy. So once again, I'm looking at this beautiful chart and I wish I could show you the beautiful chart. Um, like I said, hopefully it'll be on my Instagram, that you can view it, because I think a visual really represents this really well, because a lot of images will show it just as this kind of four quadrant, um, just yeah, like four, four squares, four squares, no, a quadrant is just, okay, anyway, I'm not a geometrist. So the visual is really helpful because it's not as black and white as it might sound like, oh, you're over here, you're over here, you're one of the four, because it is a lot like a spectrum as well. You can probably fall somewhere in between a lot of these, um, or kind of resonate with maybe two or three. So the really important aspect of this though, uh, to take away from attachment is that because of these attachment styles, it's likely that we have some attachment wounds. And I refer to attachment wounds almost as if there's these deep, deep wounds that have been created there long before maybe we can even be conscientious of it that stem from our childhood, right? Stemming from this attachment from our caregiver. So there was an attachment wound, an an unmet attachment need there as a child. And so then if you don't ever heal that attachment wound, I like to compare it as cutting yourself and then bleeding on people who didn't cut you. So it's this open wound that will still be bleeding that will still get triggered up at times. And if you never really heal the source of that bleeding, you might go around bleeding on folks who didn't hurt you And that's how this starts relating to, again, these patterns in your relationships. Not healing this kind of deep-rooted unmet attachment need from your childhood and how it gets triggered up in your relationship. So I think people often struggle with the idea of this idea that they're blaming something on their parents. I have a lot of clients when I speak from an attachment theory base. You know, our instinct is to say, you know, oh, you know, they did their best though and I don't want to blame them. And that's all valid, you know, because none of this is ever to blame a parent because they did the best they could with the tools and the knowledge they had at the time. There's no shame in that. But it doesn't take away that there was an impact. And so, a lot of people, I think, struggle with this idea that your parent had to have like hit you or abused you or done something really purposefully that was mean to have caused these really insecure attachment styles. Parents are like, oh, no, they treated me nicely. No, I don't have any issues with my parents. But somewhere around there, you probably learn to... Defend that because you weren't able to have those needs met as a kid, to have your big feelings understood. And oftentimes it's not even what your parent did, but unintentional acts like what they didn't do. Which is one of the biggest attachment traumas, which is called neglect. I think that's a really big piece that people struggle with is thinking that was I emotionally neglected as a child? I think that's hard for people to face. because we have these idealized versions of our parents and it's hard to kind of take a look and see like, wow, was my childhood not as wonderful as I thought it was? Was there more pain than I realized? And it might be hard to see it that way. But I think this is something that... happens for most people we were talking about this this infant attachment is just a part of your survival and when a child's brain is early in developing they cannot distinguish between oh my mom's having a bad day and she can't hear me right now because she's stressed or oh my dad kind of took out his anger on me because he has all these overwhelming work projects happening Right? Like a four year old can't distinguish between their parent having a bad day or, oh, I did something wrong. I must have upset mom. Or my needs were too big. My feelings made them mad. And so that's where this is how that development of attachment with your caregiver starts to bleed into a child's sense of self their self-esteem, how they start to relate to other people. A child's development is really critical for this, which is kind of why we went through some of those stages, because they're obviously going to be at a a different stage of brain development and being able to understand things at a different age. So when we're talking about those really early years, it has some of the most crucial parts of development there. It's where start to build these almost unconscious rules about relationships and what you think happens when you communicate your feelings and when you try to be close to somebody. So again, a child won't be able to think of the situation like an adult will. They'll start to make connections to try to understand what's happening They might start to believe that, oh, like my feelings were too much, or I'm not really worthy of my parents' attention. Those are those kind of what we would call these kind of core beliefs that start building. And each time a parent can't be there for their child's needs, that child might take that as another representation of, oh, right, my feelings are too big. I can't share that. And a child will start to kind of internalize those messages, and then they'll have these incredible ways of self adapting from there. But sadly, those ways of adapting will start to turn into things like codependency, perfectionism, self doubt, avoidance. These are things that you'll start seeing as adults and in your relationships as adults. When these really stem from these survival skills that you as a child probably develop to help you get through the scariness of not knowing if your parent made you feel really secure, if they made you feel safe, heard. And so being really codependent, trying to be perfect, having this chronic avoidance, these things might have happened as a child. Because it was how, you know, I'll be perfect and that's how mom will see me. Or I'll avoid because I mean that's how dad did it. I should avoid too. Or I have to be really codependent because I don't I don't believe in myself enough. I don't have that self-esteem. So I have to rely more on other people than rely on myself. As a child, these are really beautiful survival skills that they adapted to get them through. But when you grow up and you keep holding on to this codependency and perfectionism, avoidance, these are things that might start to be maladaptive and maybe they start to be a little bit unhelpful in your relationships. Let's circle back to talking about how each of these attachment styles present. So you can get a little bit of a clearer picture of what each individual attachment style looks like and what it looks like in your adult relationship. And what attachment wound is coming up for that specific type of attachment style. So like we were talking about before, secure attachment is the desirable attachment, obviously. In your adult attachments, you're more comfortable he said you have good self-esteem you're you have positive thoughts of others you're accepting someone with a secure attachment has the ability to set their appropriate boundaries they're able to get vulnerable create meaningful relationships they're able to get comfortable with intimacy <clears throat> and so that that parent to child relationship for that secure attachment is likely really attuned to their child. And their communication's probably really aligned. So that adult caregiver was, oh, I'm sorry, not the adult caregiver. The child as an adult is gonna be also very empathetic and responsive and engaged. Again, we learn so much from our caregivers and a lot of that is through modeling, how, how our parents modeled that for us. How our caregivers modeled how to respond to big feelings, how our parents modeled to stress, how our parents modeled how they managed that stress in a moment of crisis. Again, people are human. All of our caregivers, parents, they're, they're only human. So it's important to be able to to see the impact that their actions had because we know that their intent was well. For the most part, we can hopefully say that our caregivers had well intent, but their impact is still valid. And like we said, these attachment wounds can kind of keep bleeding if you don't pay attention to them. But for this secure attachment, because it was modeled so securely and the parent was so responsive and engaged, they likely, this person likely was able to believe, you know what, I'm worthy of love. Someone with a secure attachment would say, yeah, I am worthy of being loved and loving others. And I'm capable of being loved and getting the support that I need. That would be if you felt really secure in your attachment. That's a secure attachment style. I'm worthy of love, I'm willing to give it, I'm able and willing, and I know I can get the support that I need. Now, we go to ambivalent attachment. Again, that adult attachment is a little bit more preoccupied, a little bit more anxious. Again, those negative thinking about yourself, having a little bit more low self-esteem, not a lot of trust in yourself, but having way more trust and overly concerned about other people's thoughts. Maybe comes off a little bit clingy, seeks more validation and approval, wants like excess intimacy, and they're kind of grasping for it. And this would be, again, coming from a parent, a caregiver who was likely really inconsistent. So that desperateness for that intimacy and seeking that validation and that over-concern for others, that likely stems from that desperate need and validation and attention and understanding from their parent who was really inconsistent. Maybe gave them warmth and uh, approval and validation when they did what they were told. But maybe if the child had a difficult outburst or had some impulsive behavior, the parent would be more kind of conditional with that love and kind of be dismissive or indifferent or cold shoulder them. And so there was kind of that inconsistence of that warmth and nurturance. And as a, as an adult, this person with this more preoccupied anxious ambivalent attachment style is going to kind of have that core belief of, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not capable of getting the love that I need without being angry and clingy. Others are capable of meeting my needs, but I might not do so because I have flaws. So all these kind of unhealthy kind of core beliefs are starting to get built and internalized within this person And so how that presents in your adult relationships, this anxious, ambivalent, preoccupied. So like I said, it's like that needing that intimacy, but then being scared, you're not going to get it. This person might want to text that person they're dating, but won't text them because they're scared that they're coming off clingy and they probably don't like them as much. Or this might come up when you're having a disagreement with your partner and for some reason it feels like you need to seek this approval from that partner and feeling like I'm not worthy without the love of my partner and that's when you see that's where that low self-esteem comes in that feeling of I'm not good enough on my own and therefore I need to seek my partner to show me that I'm worthy again, seeking that reassurance from that attachment. And this is just a side note, because now this is making me think of how I want to also just say that there is so much relation to attachment to our more romantic, intimate relationships as adults. This is just a side tangent, because I think it's interesting that one of the One of the kind of reasons people kind of validate or they give, um, you know, merit to this theory of attachment is because there are so many similarities between how we relate with our caregivers and how we um, are intimate with our adult intimate relationships. So, you know, we see baby talk happening. There's a lot of baby talk oh, I love you. and All these cute little things that you talk with your partner, you might have pet names for them, right? Little cute things like that, talk more in a baby voice. And that's really similar, obviously, to acting like a child. And then there's the holding, the the oxytocin you get from that, that hugging hormone when you just hug and lay in each other's arms. That's really similar to the oxytocin an infant would get laying on its mother's chest. So there's all these little similar feelings there. I mean, if we're considering uh, an adult intimate relationship as something that you get love from, that you get comfort from, that you get nurturance from, well, who does that sound like, right? You've you got all those things from your caregivers as well, that sense of safety, maybe some nurturance or comfort, feelings of love and intimacy, being close, So it's no wonder that when we start to get into relationships as adults, if that person who's now this new view of our attachment, this new person, our new partner, that's who we're attached to at the moment. And if they do or they say something that makes us feel a certain way, it can almost be like, what what is this really making me feel? Where is this really coming from? And sometimes I think that's probably where get where people get stuck the most, where couples start to go seek couples therapy more often, is not being able to understand and differentiate that really the issue at hand is something a lot deeper. And if only both people could understand that there is maybe there's a much deep-rooted attachment need that was unmet and both of y'all keep just triggering each other until you bring it to light. And that's a really interesting kind of perspective that some therapists work off of. And that's attachment is definitely a basis that I work from, definitely an attachment-based kind of clinician. And there's a really interesting belief that we get into these relationships with these people with these same kind of dynamics to almost heal these wounds from childhood, these unmet attachment wounds that keep occurring, the same cycle, the same pattern of relationship, the same argument, the same toxic or unemotionally unavailable person you keep attracting. That kind of repetitive like, wow, why do I keep attracting this? Why does this keep happening? Well, if that's coming up for you, it could be a strong indicator that there's something deeper rooted there that you keep maybe attracting the same kind of person or the same situation as, a, as an opportunity to heal that unmet attachment wound you didn't get as a child. And for some reason, there's this interesting belief that perhaps we subconsciously attract a partner who kind of reminds us of our parents. And again, it's those kind of crosshairs that get crossed when it comes to attachment and then intimate relationships as adults. There's that kind of relationship there that it's kind of similar when we have an attachment in an adult intimate relationship, it can remind us of that relationship we had with our caregivers as a child, because as an adult, you want to find somebody who will make you feel safe and nurtured and loved and all those good things. So... If feelings start popping up that aren't making you feel that way, maybe sometimes it feels like it's completely out of proportion to what you and your partner are even arguing about. Again, it could likely indicate that there's something deeper at hand. But again, this isn't something to self-diagnose yourself for, right? Off of a podcast, I wouldn't recommend that. I would always recommend seeing your own clinician and getting your own firsthand experience and understanding if you have some unmet attachment needs, having a safe space, having a safe space to guide you through that. So that was a little bit of a tangent, just to again, talk about that correlation there of why this keeps coming up in romantic relationships, because there is a correlation there, similarity between those, the attachment. So let's now circle back and talking about the last two types of attachment and how it shows up in relationships. So the last two are, well, the second to last is avoidant dismissive attachment. So likely a more positive sense of self, really independent, can rely on themselves, but has maybe a more negative thinking about other people. Maybe has a difficult, uh, difficult time showing their emotions readily, or uncomfortable with intimacy and avoids closeness. Very dismissive, right? That avoidance is the key word here. That so they might blame others, they might do anything to avoid um, and just depend on themselves. And this would be where a parent was probably very unavailable or rejecting. Um, they probably were very avoidant themselves. And so as an adult, this this person will become a little bit distant, maybe more rigid and frustrated and uncomfortable with intimacy. And their core belief might be others are, you know, unwilling or incapable of loving me. Others are, not trustworthy. They're unreliable when it comes to my needs. So, therefore, I can only rely on myself. That would be kind of the core belief that would happen here. And so, in an avoidant attachment style, how how would this show up in your relationship? Well, an example I could think of is you know, wanting wanting that intimacy but the moment The moment you think that you need to share that you have some kind of need or want, it's almost like this person might not even try. They won't even try to voice it. They'll just make an automatic assumption that no one can be there for me. I got to do this myself. And maybe is really avoidant, withdrawn, and that could be really frustrating in a relationship with two or however many people in the relationship. It can be really difficult when someone is so withdrawn and avoidant, and then that can lead to problems and difficulty having good, healthy conflict resolution. Now we have disorganized attachment. Disorganized attachment can also present in adults as really fearful. So There's negative thoughts about yourself, negative thoughts about others, some low self-esteem, maybe some codependence, um, sees themselves as really helpless and they expect to be hurt, uh, really fearful of intimacy. And it was likely that as a child, their parent maybe ignored a lot of their needs, um, ignored them altogether. And as an adult they could themselves end up being really chaotic or explosive and abusive or untrusting they can grow up that way because again when that's how your if that's how it's modeled for you by the people who are supposed to make you feel safe and loved and are your first examples of how to relate to people in the world this person with this disorganized attachment, could grow up to relive those same patterns. And so their core belief could be, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not capable of getting the love I need without being abusive. Um, Others just can't meet my needs, or others aren't trustworthy. Others are abusive, and I deserve it. So a lot of kind of these unhealthy, almost toxic thoughts can come up and these negative core beliefs about how this person will exist in the world and how they relate to people, how their needs will or will not be met. And so that's just a few examples of how these adult attachment styles will kind of show up in relationships. So a few examples of these patterns in relationships. Like, why do I keep finding emotionally unavailable people? Why do I keep attracting that? Well, maybe your caregiver was a little bit avoidant, um, maybe a little bit dismissive, right? And somewhere in there, maybe there became that, that desperate need to Gain that validation, gain that attention and approval from a caregiver who was really emotionally unavailable. So growing up, thinking that's a normal way of gaining gaining love and attention by um, working really hard to gain your parents' approval or um, if they're really distant and you just learn that that's normal, that oh, well, a person's distant. Even if I'm crying or even if I'm this, um, they're still distant, but I guess that's normal. And I'm going to keep on trying to earn love from you. It must be something I'm doing. If that's the belief system at hand, maybe no wonder that person is starting to always attract these un, or these emotionally unavailable people. It's all they've known. It's all they saw growing up. Maybe that's all that was modeled for them. And they learned that that's what love is. It's normal for someone to be completely emotionally withdrawn and not tell me directly to my face that they love me and then that they care for my feelings. Them being distant and them not texting me back and all these things are probably normal signs of love because that's how my parents showed it to me does that make sense? I hope it does. Because this is definitely a big topic for this podcast today. It's I found myself needing to focus on just attachment for today because it can relate to so many other things, like how these attachment wounds get passed on from parent to child. But that is an episode for another day, my friends. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of The Lightcast with Stephanie Gast. New episodes are out monthly. And if you'd like to check out my website, it is www.stephaniegtherapy.com. You can also check me out on Instagram at stephaniegtherapy. Take care.